Welcome to Eco-Activist Journeys. Today we will talk about climate science and debunking climate myth. I'm joined by Professor Doug Ben from the University of St Andrews. Professor Doug Ben has over 30 years experience of research into glacier science in the Arctic, the European Alps, the Himalaya, Britain and North and South America. His research interests include um, glacier speleology, um, glacier searches, iceberg calving, the stability of Greenland and Ar Antarctic ice sheets and the Asian Snowball Earth Global Ice Ages. He has published over 100 papers in peer-reviewed scientific journals and is lead author of te um, leading textbook Glaciers and Glaciation. He's a professor for environmental change um, in the School of Geography and Sustainable Development at the University of St Andrews. And before joining St Andrews, he was professor of glaciology at the University Centre in Svalbard. Today, we'll be talking about the science behind climate change and debunking popular climate myth. Um, while I highly doubt that there'll be any climate deniers tuning into this um, discussion, I think it's really useful to know more behind the science of climate change in order to engage in discussion about it and help change and clarify perspectives. Especially because um, Professor Darben is really skilled at explaining and clarifying the science behind climate change and there's so much to learn from him. So thank you so much for joining today's discussion. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we will start by going through some myths that exist around climate change and climate denial statements and um, Doug Ben will explain the science behind, behind them and why um, climate change is such an unprecedented challenge on Earth. Um, after that, we will conclude with some general common questions around climate change, geoengineering and solutions to climate change. So yeah, let's get started. Um, I will read out some statements that I've gathered together after a quick um, internet search. None of these are my invention, just to be clear. <laughs> and um, then um, Doug, you can comment on them and explain some of that science behind it and we can have a discussion around it. So yes, the first statement that I thought we would start off today with is climate change is natural. The climate on earth has always been changing. Uh, well, hi. hi. Th thank you very much for having me on the show. It's nice to be here. So, yeah, uh, climate change is, is, is natural. This is true. Um, the, the Earth's atmosphere is always changing. It's never static. From one second to the next, the atmosphere is changing, no matter what timescale you look at. Um, the atmosphere is constantly adjusting to uh, to different conditions. And um, there have been times in the past when it's been much warmer than it is today, times when it's much colder than today. But this does not mean that humans are not having an impact on the climate. It's like saying uh, uh, drunk drivers cause car accidents, and that doesn't, that doesn't prove that sober ones don't, you know? So that the existence of natural climate change doesn't rule out the influence that humans are, are having. And over the last century or so, uh, human greenhouse gases has been the dominant control on climate change. That is the long-term trend, the decadal trend of warming um, is down to us. Yes, I think um, that's that's always something I think important to understand to know. Like, yeah, change is natural on Earth, but I think just some of the, the what we see in terms of the unprecedented change is definitely not uh, not natural. Um, yeah, so maybe we can we can dive a little bit into that as well. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. But another one that um, I think people there's often a common misunderstanding is around like what kind of what causes climate change or why 
especially around the arguments and natural climate change and the natural variation. So this statement that I found is CO2 in the air comes mostly from volcanoes. Yeah, okay. Um, The the climate that that we experienced, the the changing climates that we've experienced over the the last um, recent human history, over the last hundred years or so, has been a mixture of natural influences and and human influences and these two are are intimately bound up now the the trend in climate the average warming of 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 the planet is undoubtedly due to human released greenhouse gases and natural factors have kind of caused variation year on year variation superimposed on on that long-term trend now um it, it, it's certainly true that volcanoes emit carbon dioxide. This is part of the geological cycle is the emission of, of carbon um, from uh, volcanoes. Um, but the, the, the actual figures involved are, 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 are quite surprising. You know, when we think of a volcano, we think of a hugely powerful, big, spectacular event. But actually, on average, year on year, the output of CO2 from volcanoes is less than 1% of the CO2 released by human activities. Um, and, uh, and, and you can arrive at this figure in a number of ways, both by estimating the uh, gas output from all the world's volcanoes, but also from the chemical signature of the carbon in the atmosphere, that the, um, the isotopic, the chemical composition of uh, CO2 in the atmosphere has changed over over time uh, and it's changing in such a way that is consistent with the release of ancient organic carbon. Carbon that was locked up by forests and swamps millions and millions of years ago and then has been re-released into the atmosphere by human activity. And that carbon is very different in its isotopic characteristics to uh, geological carbon, you know, to, to the stuff released by volcanoes, um, and and so uh, that that's the smoking gun. The CO2 increase in the atmosphere, it is down to us, I'm afraid. Uh, the volcanoes are not going to get us off the hook. No, um, I think a very related one that I found to that that I've never heard before, but I saw and I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I need it. I need to mention it because it is quite, yeah, it's an interesting statement with around um, the, because a lot of um, big research is done, I think, in Hawaii on the Maui Lona station. So there's a statement that I found, which was made measurements from the Maui Lona research station in Hawaii are false since Mauna Loa is a volcano. So yes, right. <laughs> if you yeah. can clarify. Uh, yeah, the, you know, the, the, this is the kind of thing that that sounds, you know, when you say it, you think crikey, you know, that that, that it, it, it must be biased. Um, the 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 Mauna Loa Observatory for measuring CO2 was established in the late 1950s by a, a, a scientist called Dave Keeling, and he chose that location uh, with care. He he, he 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 didn't kind of put it there and then decades later thought, oh, it's a volcano, you know, <laughs> how could I not have thought of that? That, that, that site was actually chosen with, with a great deal of care, and it's in an island in the middle of the ocean at an elevation of over 3,000 meters. And it was put there uh, precisely because it would be sampling the larger scale atmosphere, un, 
contaminated by local vegetation, local human activities and so on. It's up there in the high pure air of, uh, of, of the middle of the Pacific. Now, volcanic emissions of CO2 from, um, uh, from, from Hawaiian volcanoes do influence the, uh, the reading in the short term. You see blips and excursions where, where there's a burp of CO2 and so on. Um, and uh, the, the uh, people that run this program are very, very well aware of this um, and, uh, and, and can recognize those effects very, very clearly. But the key thing is that on timescales of several days, the, the, the measurements smooth out. And, and that's precisely because they are sampling the larger scale atmospheric flow, the airflow uh, over Hawaii, rather than the local emissions. And it's also important to note that uh, although the Mauna Loa Observatory is the longest record of carbon dioxide, it's by no means the only one. Um, and that there is now a network of, of CO2 monitoring stations from pole to pole, from uh, Alaska to the South Pole, measuring uh, CO2 uh, levels. And the global pattern, the large scale atmospheric pattern is very, very well understood. Yes, I, I think um, that's, that's, that's really good to, to explain because I think yeah, it is a definitely a famous example just because it's been measured. That's a measuring station that existed for so long, but obviously now all around the world, there um, the measurements that correlate with that and that show, well, yeah, this is happening everywhere on the earth. Um, so, yeah, um, I think going a little bit into also atmospheric composition, since that's a little bit of the theme that we're discussing right now, is another statement that I hadn't really heard before, but maybe you can explain that a little bit more in terms of with regards to consistent com the composition of the atmosphere. Mm. And that's um, almost all of greenhouse gas effect can be accounted for by water vapor. I don't know uh, where it comes from, but yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so basically, greenhouse gases are are, are so-called because of the way that they uh, interact with radiation um, uh, it, 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 that's trying to escape from the earth. Long-wave radiation being emitted uh, by the earth, and certain gases absorb radiation in those wavelengths, um, uh, so so that uh, heat energy radiation emitted from the earth is trapped by certain gases, which then warm up and re-radiate uh, energy back down to the Earth. So they have the effect of, uh, of, of warming the atmosphere. And water vapor, water in the gas form, is, is indeed the most abundant greenhouse gas in the Earth's climate. CO2 is, is next in, in the list. And um, the, the presence of water vapor and naturally occurring carbon dioxide in, in the atmosphere have always played a very important role in regulating the Earth's climate. Um, that um, in, in the absence of these greenhouse gases, the average temperature of the Earth would be minus 18. So we'd be living in a snowball Earth. If, if, if there was no water vapor, if there was no carbon dioxide in, in the atmosphere and pre-industrial levels of, um, of, of greenhouse gases maintain the global temperature at something like plus 15. So, so, so the, the, the presence of these gases um, 
it, it is, is a, a, a natural and very important effect for moderating the uh, the Earth's energy energy balance and and the climate, and water vapor plays a crucial role within that. Um, but the um, uh, the additional human CO2, where, where we've been looking at an additional temperature increase of something like a degree o o over the last century. Now that's much less than the the shift from minus 18 to plus 15 that the naturally occurring greenhouse gases have done. It's just a little bit extra, but that little bit extra is is important. You know, you you you're you're going from uh, a system that's got a, a general equilibrium that's been in existence for thousands of years and you're adding to that very quickly very very quickly changing those conditions and it's that extra bit of of climate change and the speed of that climate change that's causing the crisis i think i mean we can't really show graphics but i think it's always so like interesting to see it if you actually see the graphic of like co2 levels and yeah, on Earth, and then it is really evident. I think that, like that, it, like what it, that what the spike that we're currently experiencing is not really natural in terms of like how it would usually happen, especially not on the time scale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 as you say, it, it, it it's a real shame that we can't share graphics on a radio show, you know, because this is my usual way of doing stuff. You know, <laughs> it, it, it it is showing pictures and graphs. But if you can kind of visualize a curve of, of carbon dioxide through time, and, and we can create this uh, using data from ice cores, from uh, uh, cylinders of ice that have been drilled for kilometers through the um, Antarctic ice sheet, and trapped within those ice cores are bubbles of ancient air that allow us to sample the carbon dioxide levels in the deep past. And we can go back hundreds of thousands of years um, using this technique. And, uh, and, and, and essentially, the curve goes up and down and up and down between about 200, 250 parts per million of, of carbon dioxide, these natural variations, um, until you get to the Industrial Revolution, at, at which point the curve kicks upward um, it, it, almost a vertical line when you look at it against the geological time scale to the current levels of around 415 parts per million. We're not quite yet a, a doubling of CO2 over immediate pre-industrial levels, but we're really not that far off it. Uh, and, and just to put this into the perspective of a, of a single career, when I started teaching uh, courses on climate and climate change, the CO2 in the atmosphere was about 350, 360 parts per million, and it's now 415. And every year I have to update my lectures as to what that what that figure is. That that curve is 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 it's going stratospheric. It really is. Yeah, I think it's very. Um, there's this initiative between climate activists to almost say like when you were born to name the um, the atmospheric composition of like the year in which you were born and then obviously compare that to what what it is now and it's just even in like yeah our lives has just changed so dramatically I mean I'm 22 now when I was born like the atmospheric composition was very different in terms of like the CO2's um mm. content than it is now so 
Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a good thing to do, you know, to kind of measure against your own life, because very often, you know, we're talking about these things on time scales and spatial scales that are very, very different from what we actually experience. But doing that exercise of looking up what the CO2 was in, the, in your birth year and what it is now, uh, that, that, that's, that's a really good way of, of, of putting it into your own frame. Definitely. I think since we're on this topic, maybe you can explain a little bit around um, how this is so different from what we've seen in, like the Earth has seen in the past with regards to its natural variations. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned briefly earlier on, um, there have been times in the um, in the geological past when climate had been warmer than today. Um, be, be, between about 8,000, 5,000 years ago, you know, there was um, uh, people around at that at, 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 at that time. The the climate that they were experiencing was rather similar to that of late 20th century, early 21st century uh, climate. Uh, a, a rather prolonged, um, uh, relatively warm period. Um, uh, m much warmer, say, than um, the medieval uh, or, or rather late medieval times, uh, early modern times. And if you go further back into uh, in, 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 into geological history to maybe 40, 50 million years ago, uh, you're in an even warmer climate. Now, these climates were not bad as uh, you, you, in, in, in general terms, a, a warmer earth need not be an inhospitable earth. The, um, there have been periods in geological history where it's been warmer climate um, and, and, and actually very productive, you know, forests in the high latitudes, um, uh, lush vegetation and almost like rainforest um, conditions in Northern Europe. Um, but the problem that we're facing now is the speed of climate change. That if you go from one climate condition to another one very, very rapidly, then all of the natural ecosystems and human economic systems do not have time to adjust to that. These things have developed in harmony with or in the expectation of certain conditions. And if they suddenly change, you know, it's, it, it, it's like at the present time, there are human societies uh, in high northern latitudes. You know, you've got people living quite happily in northern Norway. You've got people living happily in southern Europe, in the tropical regions and so on. But if you suddenly flipped the conditions in those places from one to the other, then you, you, you run into deep trouble. So it, it, it's the speed of, of change, the speed of warming uh, and, 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 and the fact that both natural systems and human systems are now having to cope with things that they have not had to cope with and they cannot adjust quickly enough. Yeah. And I think it, what it always, like what I always look at as well is that um, ecosystems are so, like we so depend on healthy ecosystems I and mean, these ecosystems can't adapt to the quick changes that are happening on Earth with the species and keystone species that exist in them then that's really dangerous for us, for our human lives and for our health. And yeah. 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 And, and the, the, the trouble with um, with ecosystems adjusting to climate change is is the lack of room that nature 
know-hows. It, it is not simply the rapidity of climate change, but the very restricted options that species had to migrate. So, so, so that in, in past times, if, if, if the climate warmed or cooled, then the, uh, the, the, the uh, animals can migrate, plants can occupy new areas and withdraw from, from others. And the, the mosaic animal and plant distribution shifts with the slowly changing climate. Um, but if, if you've got farmland uh, and cities and human occupation and a little fragment of a nature reserve, um, uh, that, that nature reserve, the plants and animals in that cannot migrate uh, mm -hmm. this way or that in response to changing climate. It's stuck where it is. And, and, and if the climate shifts in such a way that um, uh, plants and animals are no longer viable in, in that climate, then you're looking at extinctions. Mm. Yeah. I think referring a little bit to what you just mentioned with regards to cities, and uh, we know obviously that um, in cities there's quite a, like the impact of climate change is quite evident in terms, especially in terms of hotter summers, um, because it just gets really, really warm <laughs> there. And it's not like there's not that much natural space and observation. So obviously um, there's a lot of, yeah, effects of people living and we have a lot of people living in cities nowadays that are experiencing a lot warmer climate in that cities um in those cities so something though that i also well one of the statements that i read was um people saying that warming is due to the urban heat island effect um yeah <laughs> uh, yeah yeah well i mean I, I, the, the, this this is well known um it, that that it, it it's undoubtedly true that our urbanization of an area has an elevating effect on on temperatures and and th th this is because um uh the kind of materials used for building you know, the tarmac and concrete and so on are 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 very very efficient at warming up um in uh, in in the daytime and they radiate that heat uh, out again at, at night. Whereas on a vegetation surface, the sunlight is partly used for evaporating water and, uh, uh, and, and, and so on, with the effect that vegetation kind of absorbs and keeps cool um, the, the, the climate uh, or, or the, the amount of energy um, landing on it from the sun. Um, so urban areas do elevate uh, uh, temperature and the urban heat island effect is real. But when uh, you see a graph of um, a global average climate change um, in, in, in which data is collated from the entire earth, the urban heat island effect is subtracted from that. There are weather stations uh, all, all over the world, many of which are, are, are now in urban areas. When they were established, they might have been in a leafy suburb. Uh, and, and as urbanization creeps around, they find themselves in a kind of mid-urban uh, uh, location. And as a result of that, there's an extra trend, an extra warming in, in those particular weather stations, um, which is not apparent in rural weather stations in, in that region. Um, and when constructing uh, global temperature curves, it's the rural stations that are used to determine that trend. Mm -hmm. And the urban heat island effect is allowed for uh, in, in those records. And if you look at the, um, 
the websites of the uh, agencies that are responsible for collating and uh, and constructing the the global climate records like NASA and NOAA uh, and uh, Copernicus in uh, in Europe you will find the information that explains in detail how they allow for the urban heat island effect in constructing those climate records. Uh, so so the, the scientists are well aware of the urban heat island effect uh, and take it fully into account when constructing these records. Yeah, no, I think it's also not just like, like you said, it's not just one station, there are different ones in different cities, in rural areas, in urban areas. And obviously you need to take an account, like there will be local pollution and local factors that account like that influence data in those specific areas but like obviously scientists look at that and try and like, yeah yeah I, 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 absolutely i mean the the um it is it, absolutely astonishing when you look at it just how huge an enterprise global meteorology and climate observation is the whole network of um of weather stations both manned and automatic as well as satellite uh, ob observing it, it it's an absolutely enormous enterprise a huge scientific achievement to be able to gather data from all over the planet and figure out how all that is changing uh, in, in 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 time and space yeah Definitely. And, 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 and yes, they have thought of these uh, <laughs> these problems. There's a lot of very bright people working on these things uh, continuously and constantly improving the data that's available to us. And I mean, I would say probably climate change is one of the biggest issues that scientists have ever collaborated on in terms of like looking at it and being a consensus around in terms of like, yeah, just working together to collect data. And I think... Uh, yeah. It's like it, it's strange because obviously there are people that are being paid or have other alternative interests that have scientific, I don't know, backgrounds maybe in terms of that there's something they studied, but then gone another route who then made claims around or then that climate denier groups use sort of. But I mean the consensus is definitely there. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I, I think it's worthwhile just just kind of um thinking about this for, for, for a little while. I mean the 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 way that, that science works, <clears throat> it it is that we're all trying to find fault with each other's work the whole time. Uh we we, 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 we all want to uh to, to, to find out something that nobody else has noticed. Uh we 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 we, we all want to get at the truth as 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 best as as as, as we can. Um, and uh, the um, when when people present a paper for um, for publication, it is judged by peers who can be quite hostile. Uh, you have to get past journal editors who are looking out for errors and so on. Uh, sometimes errors slip through. Uh, then they're picked up later by other scientists and debates uh, uh, sweep around that. Uh, and and so the consensus that has arisen on the reality of climate change and its human causes is not like some uh, dogma or uh, or belief system that, that everybody adheres to. It's something that has emerged from the facts. And in science, if if new facts are discovered or inconsistencies are discovered, things adjust, you know, the consensus adjusts in order to uh, accommodate that. And the 
consensus on climate change is is so overwhelming um, mm-hmm. that that uh, that there are very very few people uh, w- working in science who who take contrary views. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I think we talked about this a little bit already when we talked about worm warming and the different ages. Because one of the statements is. Um, it was warmer than it's now during the Holocene climatic optimum. And I think you already said, yes, there were periods that were warmer, but it's not happened at um, that exact same speed. Um, But let me move on to the next statement that says, um, because it relates slightly, although it's more regarding to cooling, because in graphs we can see that, yeah, people make statements and say and ask, well, what about the mid-century cooling that happened in the 40s, 50s, 60s? Mm. Yeah, uh, that, that if, if you if you look at climate records of, over the last century, one of the very striking features of this is that one sees a warming from about 1910 through to about 1930, uh, and then the climate kind of cools and wiggles around a bit with no real trend at all from the 40s through to about the 1970s, and then a warming uh, kicks in. Uh, and and yet, if you uh, consider CO2 uh, levels, it was rising uh, throughout that entire period. So what gives, you know, what what is the issue with um, uh, with, with 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 the mid-century? And it's it's now known that that um, period of relatively cool uh, climate during the the middle twentieth century is our fault as well. And uh, and and the, the 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 reason for this is other forms of air pollution that uh, smogs um, when particularly when they cover large areas have the effect of reflecting sunlight uh, back into space so that an extensive smog is always cold in, 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 in inside a winter inside a winter smog um, and and, and uh, if you go above the smog and look down on it you see bright surface of cloud uh, and and so so basically sunlight shining down on the surface of the smog field is reflected back up into space not reaching uh the the surface of the earth and so human impact on climate is cut both ways mm-hmm. smogs have been cooling the climate regionally and co2 has been warming the climate during the middle 20th century the smog effect was winning so that it was the dominant uh, effect and it was essentially cancelling out the warming effect of CO2 at, at that time. After the 1970s, two things happen. One is C, uh, carbon dioxide emissions accelerate. So, so the rate of emissions really begin to get going in, 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 in the post-war period. And secondly, clean air acts really kick in. So cleaning up of, of of the atmosphere in Europe, particularly in North America, um, anti-pollution laws and, and so on, meant that smogs became much less extensive in Europe and North America. Uh, and, and this meant that that cooling process was turned down while the warming one was being turned up. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and the um, uh, there's been quite a bit of literature on this uh, recently, and the consensus is now very clearly that mid-century cooling is a human effect, mm-hmm. just like 
the, the warming uh, since. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that obviously that's not a positive one either because air pollution is really bad for human health as well and for animals. So it's not like the solution is we need more pollution. It's we need to address our CO2 levels. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's absolutely right. That um, uh, cl cl cleaning up air, uh, urban air quality was done for a very, very good reason uh, in, in, in the West, the incidence of respiratory diseases and so on uh, was, was staggeringly high uh, and, and, and until the mid uh, 20th century, as it is now in, in, uh, in, in, in cities and other parts of the world, in South Asia and uh, in East Asia, um, in, 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 in particular, urban air quality is a huge problem uh, and, and it really, really does need to be addressed. Uh, so um, uh, 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 and, and of course that means that the um, the the warming uh, is also likely to get worse as, as the air is, is 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 cleaned up and it urgently needs to be addressed as well. Uh, but but in, interestingly enough, both the urban air pollution and the greenhouse gas problem are both problems issuing from the carbon economy. So it, 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 it's fossil fuel burning that's giving you the urban smogs uh, and it's fossil fuel warming, uh, uh, burning that, that's causing the CO2 greenhouse effect. So, so, so it's the same root cause. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you're right. This It's, a, it's still a very big problem in many cities um, around the world. Um, and there are definitely health implications that are visible through this and a lot of death that can relate directly to air pollution so yeah but like you said is it's a the good thing is that we can address both if uh, we address uh, our yeah. carbon economy yes so, yeah um i want to talk a little bit about um weather and climate um because obviously the statements such as like oh there's still snow and exceptionally cold winters in some parts of the world and yeah things like that or some sites are cooling or whatever it is on local conditions. But yeah, maybe you can explain a bit more behind those statements and the differentiation between weather and climate. Uh, yeah, um, that when we talk about uh, climate change, we're averaging things over very large scales. You know, uh, we've been talking about global average temperatures and, uh, and, and, and also smoothing things out over timescales looking at trends that are occurring over tens of years rather than year on on year variation. Now, the thing is that we don't experience that. What, what, what we experience is weather, the constantly changing dynamic state of, uh, of, of, of the atmosphere. And, uh, and, and, and the weather is always changing and it can be cold as well as warm for the, for the time of year. And, and at present, much of the United States is experiencing an extreme uh, cold uh, uh, episode, um, as, in, as indeed Europe did in, 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 uh, in, in very, very recent uh, days. Um, and uh, when, we, when we talk about average changing conditions, all of that is smoothed out, all of those colder and, mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and so on events. Um, uh, are all kind of averaged out, and we're looking at how 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 the global pattern changes. But the 
there's a there's a kind of difficulty here in in terms of how we think about uh, the the climate issue, because we we don't experience climate; we experience weather, mm. and um and 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 so what is it that we experience that tells us that climate change is is a problem? Now the difficulty here is that the the constant change of the weather and natural chaotic variations in the weather mean that you can't point to an individual weather event and say that is climate change. Um, what you can do is look at trends in climate events. And, and so if you have a greater frequency of heat waves through time, a greater frequency of droughts, um, a greater frequency of destructive cyclones uh, and, 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 and so on. These extreme weather events that we suffer from, if they are becoming more common uh, through time, then you can point to those and say that is is climate change. Because the, 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 the difficulty with pointing to one extreme warming event, you know, or, or you to point to one extreme hurricane uh, and say that's climate change or one heat wave say say the heat wave in northern europe in 2019 summer 2019 and say look look this is climate change it it, it becomes very easy then for an opponent to point to the snowfall in texas and say pa you know what about that for climate change um so, so, so that these individual weather examples we really can't um uh, rely on those as yardsticks of climate change but lots of those things uh, add, add up. And, and so um, we, 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 we've had a, 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 a cold snap here, which is very unusual. But in earlier times, that was much more commonplace. It, it was much, much more commonplace to have uh, days or even weeks of yeah, continuous yeah. frosts, snow lying on the ground for weeks on end. Now, it's, it, it really sticks in our mind because it's so rare. Yeah. Uh, and similarly, heat waves, you know, we can point to heat waves in, in the past, back in the 1930s and so on. Um, but the frequency of, of, of those um, is telling us, mm -hmm. it's the alarm bell that's, that we can see, that we can hear, um, that's telling us that climate change is occurring. I think, yeah, I think it's very tempting sometimes, right, to point to weather, especially if it's like warmer and then you're like, oh my gosh, like the climate is changing. But sometimes I think it's good to put that into perspective, to put into see like how does that relate to the past? And we can see it getting so much warmer and the summer getting unusually hotter in a lot of parts of Europe that just you like that in the past wasn't that normal in terms of temperatures. And even now, um, my family lives in the Bavarian Alps um, and well we should have healthy snowy winters that's that's what we should have um, but that's not what's been in the last two years or what was happening here like there's been a lot less snow than there was previously and I I mean I have pictures from myself when I was six or so and I was on um, one of the big lakes which is known as the Bavarian Ocean Kinsey and I was ice skating on it as a as, yeah as a six-year-old and nowadays, even now, with the really cold weather that uh, was um, here in 
Um, yeah, last week we had, it was cold. Yeah, it was minus 70, minus 20 degrees sometimes, but that was not enough and it was not long enough to actually freeze um, the Kinsey Lake that I was on when I was small. And it's just like some of those like comparisons are really interesting to look at because like, yes, we're having some snow and we're having some cold, but that's technically how it should be here in the Alps. Like we should yeah. have snow and we should have frost and it should be cold in the winter. Yes. And that's what's been happening the last two years, but that doesn't mean that like now suddenly we have a cooling. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. That's that, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think an, the, another one that I wanted to, to go into was something around um, glaciers, because obviously you, you know a lot about glaciers. So um, a statement um, that I've read is that glaciers have always grown and receded in, in the past. Why is it so different now? So maybe you can explain a little bit behind that. Uh, yeah, uh, well, the, 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 this is um, uh, this relates back to, to what we were talking about earlier about natural climate changes, that the, there have always been variations in, in, in the climate. And glaciers are very, very sensitive to climate changes that if it's colder and there's more snow, then glaciers will grow. Um, and if it's uh, warmer, warmer summers and so on, or, or less snow in the winter, then uh, glaciers will diminish in, in, in size. And, and again, we can look back through the geological past and find times when glaciers have been much, much more extensive than, than they are now, um, and, uh, and, and times when they were much less so. Um, and again, the uh, the problem, as I see it, is not so much uh, the fact that glaciers are uh, diminishing in in size. This is business as usual for uh, for for glaciers, but it's the rapidity with which uh, mm. that this is happening, um, and the impacts that that has both on the local regions in terms of hazards and water supplies, um, but also globally in terms of sea level change um, and um, uh, global sea level um, is is rising steadily at a, at, at a globally average rate of three millimeters per year um, and that is largely uh, 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 about half uh, due to the shrinkage of glaciers and ice sheets returning water uh, to the oceans and the the, the the major concern about about glaciers is that under a continuously warming climate, then those losses can accelerate, giving us levels of or rates of sea level rise that will overwhelm our ability to to deal with them in in coastal regions. Yeah, and um, something also that I wanted to um, quickly speak about is that idea of like climate predictions because um, there's some statements say well it's not there's not 100% certainty in climate change and predictions and predictions are impossible since it's difficult even to predict weather for the next week I think that goes back a little bit to weather but mm. um, yeah I think maybe if we speak a little bit about those predictions I think that'll be really yeah. um so uh, the 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 comparison with um uh, weather prediction it, it, it is a very very interesting one um, be, because um, uh, many of us have an idea in our mind that, that weather prediction is, is rather unreliable uh, 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 and, um, uh, and, and, and if, if 
we can't predict the weather, then then what hope have we got of, of, of predicting the the climate? Well, there's two things to to say and respond to that. One is that actually weather prediction is pretty reliable. That in in terms of the overall patterns of weather that we um, uh, that we get on a day-to-day basis, the models are actually incredibly good um, at, at predicting what what's going to happen. In terms of precisely when you're going to get rained on, uh, at, at, at which exact location, um, that's the level that we experience. It, 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 it's less able to do that. But in terms of the weather systems that we experience, it is actually pretty reliable up to a point. And that point is about three to five days ahead. Mm. Uh, and, and, uh, and once you get beyond that, once you get over a week, we really cannot predict the weather. Uh, and, and and this is because there is uh, uh, the, the 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 weather has a chaotic character, uh, meaning that it is inherently unpredictable because it's so sensitive to small pushes and pulls. Um, now, that then is that then a problem for long term climate prediction? And the answer is no. And that is because, as we've said earlier on, climate is different from weather and that uh, climate is average weather conditions smoothed out over years. Uh, so all the variations uh, in, 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 in the weather and you average all of those and you get a value. And, and that removes all the noise, it removes all the chaotic variation, the day to day uh, variation between rain and dry and sunny and cloudy uh, and, and gives you those averages. And predicting average conditions is a much, much simpler thing than predicting the day to day weather variation. Um, and, 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 and actually, again, the, the, the climate models are, uh, are, are getting pretty good and getting better and better at saying what the climate will be like, what the average climate will be like for given conditions. Uh, those conditions including how much CO2 there is uh, in the atmosphere. Now there's just one final thing I want to say about uh, climate prediction models and, and that is that the, the word prediction is perhaps the wrong one that gives a misleading um, Im- impression. You know, a, a, a prediction implies being able to say what will happen. But actually, what will happen depends not only on how the Earth's atmosphere works, but on what humans do. And uh, climate models allow us to answer what if questions. Mm -hmm. What if we double CO2? What if we triple CO2? What if we limit our emissions and get to net zero? And those models actually give us a very, very good guide, the best guide we've got mm-hmm. to, to saying what's going to happen if we make these choices. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point because it is about choices um, and it's about our human choices. So really, it's just a way to show, well, this is what could happen, uh, but this is not what we want to happen. So like 
the path of the future is really in the hands, in our hands right now in terms mm-hmm. of the decisions that are being made. So yeah, I think that's a really, really important message. Um, well, there's so many things we could discuss more, but I know we've um, been talking for quite a while. So I'm just going to ask maybe one or two more questions. Um, and I want to talk about the idea of, um, I think sometimes one or two degrees in normal, like that refers back to weather can, for people sometimes feel like, well, is that really that much? So um, how can such a seemingly small change in global average temperatures such have such a massive impact? And how can we explain that difference between, you know, that's not the same as like one degree, an average global is not the same as one degree in, in a day-to-day weather basis. Yeah, 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 That that that's exactly right. Uh, it, it, it's, um, it again, it highlights this difference between climate and weather. So that if if today the temperature is 10 degrees and tomorrow the temperature is 12 degrees, big deal. You know, that that that, that really isn't a, 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 a problem. Um, but one has to remember that those average figures for the whole globe, a warming of, 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 of one degree, represents a shift of, of, of the entire climatic envelope. You know, it's not just one number that's shifting. That one number is measuring how the entire climate system is is shifting. And when you think of the the sheer size of the Earth's atmosphere, you know, this envelope of gas wrapping around the entire world, it's huge. And if its average temperature is increasing by a degree or two degrees, that represents an enormous amount of energy. And that energy, that extra energy is manifest in, uh, or or at least one of its manifestations is extreme weather events in in, in terms of extreme heat waves and droughts, in terms of storminess uh, and and so on. Uh, So even though a shift of one or two degrees seems very small, We've got to remember this represents a shift of the entire global climate system, and 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 that is is a lot of of heft. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's it's a lot of oomph uh, in in the Earth's climate system that's changing. I am my mom's a pediatrician, and uh, I think something that a statement that I've heard in terms of um, human health, comparing human health to planetary health, is like if you have a fever. And your body temperature increases by one degree that that is critical like that's a big deal that's not just a small temperature change I and mean, it's it's similar to the whole earth system right if it increases one two temperature that that's big changes overall and that has a ba- massive effect so uh yeah yeah i mean that, that that's certainly right the human body has got a kind of um uh, uh, we, we, we can kind of cope with short-term excursions in uh, in, in, in temperature, you know, but if it, it, uh, we, we've got a definite comfort zone and you can't move very far far outside of that. So that's actually a pretty good analogy. Mm, yeah. Um, one of the last things I wanted to quickly talk about is the idea of um, geoengineering, sort of finding ways of, uh, yeah, engineering ourselves out of the climate crisis. Um, but what is your opinion on this? Can we stop climate change through these geoengineered solutions? Um, the, 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 this is something which has been uh, increasingly uh, proposed, and there are a, a, a number of pilot projects are are, are being launched at, at the present time. 
um, and and to 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 take um, uh, one example, we we, we talked uh, earlier on in our conversation about uh, how um, uh, smogs, for, for 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 example, can cool the climate. Clouds have uh, the same uh, effect. Volcanoes uh, through uh, sulfur dioxide em em emissions also have a cooling effect uh, on on the climate. And so it's, it's been proposed that. Uh, if, if we could put fine particles or liquid droplets into the upper atmosphere, these could provide us with a, a reflective shield um, that would uh, help to maintain uh, cool, cool temperatures. Now, I, I, I think the the big problem with with geoengineering solutions like that is, is that if if CO2 levels are continuing to increase in, 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 in the earth you've got to keep doing it you know this is something that you have to keep doing year on year on year uh, to maintain that reflective shield uh, around the earth so it's going to be expensive it's going to take a lot of effort to get all that stuff uh, up there um but but then the the the, the um there is the issue of unintended consequences um, it, 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 in the attempting to tweak the uh, the behavior of the atmosphere, we really cannot predict, you know, if if we put uh, reflective particles in the atmosphere at these locations, how uh, uh, weather conditions are going to change in 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 the earth below. Uh, and 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 so actually, I I I I do believe that although many of these solutions are are are, are rather ingenious. I don't think that they are practical, and I think that they, uh, in many cases, could have very damaging unintended uh, consequences. Plus, um, uh, it, unless you deal with the CO2 uh, level, you don't deal with things like ocean acidification mm, and, yeah. and, uh, uh, and and the uh, other problems associated with the with the carbon economy. And so, actually, I think there there really is no choice here. But to address the root problem, yeah. uh, w w w which is that we we cannot have a global scale carbon economy and have a healthy planet uh, at the same time, uh, and 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 for this reason, I I, I think the fact that uh, governments and businesses in particular uh, are, are are latching on to how expensive climate change is, uh, and that the economics of things are shifting. Um, to, 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 to recognize that this is something we have to factor into our economics as well as our ecologies. Definitely. And I think it's so important to be aware of how complex the Earth system actually is in terms of the things that interlink. Like, it's really hard to say exactly like how it's going to affect every small tiny part of the earth especially some geoengineered solution like how do we, how can we as humans calculate that exactly in terms of like how that will have an effect and we have natural solutions as well right we have uh, we need healthy oceans that can absorb co2 and trees and forests and mangroves and like there's so many ways to do this like naturally i think that is more in tune with the actual earth system rather than trying to engineer something so especially these big solutions um around i don't know spraying things in the air and not knowing really what is, will happen like on the long-term effect of that 
And also because it isn't a long-term solution, right? It's, it looks at a quick fix to something that is not a quick, that can't be a quick fix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, 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 this is this is exactly right. Um, the, 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 um, the, the, the Earth system is so connected and different elements of it are so sensitive uh, to, to, to changes. It, it, it's not as if we can simply turn the dial here and, and, and adjust the the uh, the climate system into a state that that we want uh, or, or or can be can be happy with um, and, uh, and 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 really a a, a shift to um, economies that factor in the health of the earth rather than regarding the earth as a limited source of resources and and uh, uh, so, sorry, an unlimited source of uh, resources and also an unlimited dustbin into which we can dump our yeah, waste yeah. products. We're going to recognize the limits of the Earth system and factor in its health in the way that we go about our business. Definitely. And I mean, I think overall, a healthy planet also means healthy humans. So it is about our health and well-being as well. And I think there's such an opportunity with the climate crisis and actually to change so many ways and things that currently in the worth and um, working in the in the on the earth that could be done so much differently and um, that could call well changes in that could contribute to better lives and addressing a whole load of issues that are connected to to this um, because I mean climate change is also so much of a social justice issue so I think there's there is really an opportunity but my final question for for you today is just to ask um what do you see as the biggest hope that we have for the future um now the, the, this might see, 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 seem rather an odd one but um uh i i i i kind of see the the biggest hope as being the fact that um the the capitalist economy is is really catching on to the fact that we've got to do something about climate change that um, uh, the the um, debate about climate, I mean, particularly in the, in, in the United States, be, be became kind of polarized between uh, in, in, in environmentalists, sometimes anti-capitalists, uh, and and uh, a kind of socialist uh, way, way of looking things, uh, and 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 set up against. Uh, the, the the capitalist economy, big oil, and uh, and and the business interests, and uh, and 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 so on, uh, and 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 that that's not a good state of affairs, you know, where, where you have environmental concerns and uh, political and economic concerns against, set against each other, um, uh, and, uh, and 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 talk of revolutions and having to tear down capitalism in order to solve uh, the 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 climate. But 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 the fact that that people like Bill Gates are 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 talking about the kind of things that we need to do in 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 order to tackle the climate crisis, the the the, the fact that the United States is now back on board um, with the, the the Paris Accord with a program based on economics, it's based on jobs, is uh, and, and it can no longer be framed as. Uh, look, the Democrats are trying to take your job away. You know, it, 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 it's here are new opportunities. And that, that was a word you used yourself a little while ago um, uh, in, in terms of opportunities. It's this shift in perspective that allows us to see tackling climate change as an opportunity 
rather than a hugely expensive luxury, mm -hmm. uh, which is how economics has tended to, to regard it over the past several decades. And, and, and that shift in the, in the economic thinking, I think, is the biggest hope that we've mm -hmm. got to make a really big, deep difference. And, and let's make no mistake, the, the, the difference has to be huge. It has to be systemic and it has to be affordable. Um, and, and the fact that it is also an opportunity is the biggest hope. Mm. Yes, thank you. I think that that's that's a perfect conclusion to today's discussion. So thank you so much. I know there's so many things we could dive into more, but it's been it's been a real pleasure. And um, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in and um, have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning into Eco Activist Journeys. This is a recording from my radio show on St Andrews Radio, which I've been running since September 2017. I really hope you enjoyed today's discussion, and if you did, please follow the Ecoactivist Journeys podcast. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're doing well, and that this episode has been inspiring for you. Thank you for joining the journey. Take care. Love.